Why don't you open your Bibles to Psalm 66. Psalm 66. Um, once you're there, uh, I want to pray again. But before we pray, um, this is a psalm about the works of the Lord, what he's done for us, um, giving thanks. This is all about praise. And what I would encourage uh, you to do um, now before we pray, just take a minute and just think about what the Lord's done for you lately. You know, maybe it's uh, he's given you a breakthrough, maybe answered prayer. Maybe it's just comfort. Um, maybe it's uh, just providing for your needs uh, that you have, um, giving you uh, something that you've, you've needed and you've worked for and, and you just got it, um, but it's a gift from the Lord. Um, but just take a, take a, a minute here, um, not long, but just uh, in your hearts, just think about something that the Lord's done for you. Um, and then we'll pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do pray for tonight for your word. Lord, we pray for uh, you to speak to our hearts, Lord. We thank you so much for what you've done for us, what you've given, Lord. We thank you for your love, your kindness, Lord, to us. We thank you that you have not left us orphans, as your word says, but you have come to us in your Holy Spirit, Lord, as we sang that last song and ask for your Holy Spirit to come afresh upon us, Lord, just a reminder of our need for you, Lord. And I pray as we, as we study this psalm that our hearts would be encouraged, that we would be stirred up to praise you for what you've done for us, Lord. Uh, Lord, we do thank you so much that you, you care intimately for each and every one of us. You have a desire to uh, deal personally with our lives, to work on our behalf, Lord. And uh, we have the proof in your word. We have the proof in your love and your spirit, Lord. But we also see just how you've worked throughout history, Lord, and the redemption that you have, and then the promises you have for us in the future, Lord. We thank you so much, and I ask that you would speak to us tonight in your name. Amen. Psalm 66 uh, it says, To the chief musician, a song, a psalm. So this, this was meant to be sung. This was meant to be uh, a worship song uh, for the people of Israel. It says, verse 1, Make a joyful shout to God all the earth. Sing out the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. Come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing towards the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river on foot. There we will rejoice in him. He rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. O oh, bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard. He who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. For you, O oh God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but... You brought us out to rich fulfillment. I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows, which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt sacrifices of fat animals with the sweet aroma of rams. I will offer bulls with goats. 
Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Praise the Lord. So this psalm starts out with that. We've seen it elsewhere. Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. That word is ruah. It's a shout. It's to cry out. Uh, It can also be used of raising an alarm, a, a war cry, blowing a shofar. It's a loud noise of praise. You know, um, it's beautiful when we sing, even uh, tonight, and Mariel's got a bit of a sore throat, so she lost her voice while she was singing up here and had to sing. But it's beautiful to hear the church singing out in praise and worship. And we're called to do that. We've talked about it before. We see it throughout the scriptures. Our praise to God should be heard, should be vocal. You know, um, uh, one of the Bible teachers that uh, I was listening to as he was talking about Psalm 66 here, he said, you know, the Lord uh, doesn't care if we like how we worship. He's the one who likes our worship. So it doesn't matter. I mean, we, we obviously, as we're singing and, and playing and doing things, we want to be excellent. It says here, make his praise glorious but we shouldn't be so caught up with looking at ourselves and how we're praising the Lord that we hold back from giving him the glory and honor to his name, crying out in praise to him because he's worthy of it. That's what it says, sing out the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. The whole earth is called to praise him. You know, uh, if you want a picture of what this joyful shout looks like, um, if you've been watching what's happened in Israel, something that, that happened this week, uh, the whole nation was praising the Lord because one of the uh, hostages was rescued in Gaza. Um, a, a young woman, her name is Uri, I can't pronounce her last name. She was an IDF soldier, about 20 years old, but rescued and returned to her family. Um, if you watch the videos of her family, they're shouting, they're throwing confetti, they're dancing around. Uh, one of her uncles is literally blowing a shofar in their living room. And then another one of her aunt is out in front of their house, and she's just bawling, crying out, shouting to the Lord. There's another where uh, you see a group of Orthodox Jewish men, uh, ultra-Orthodox in this roundabout. Um, I think it's in Tel Aviv. And they're literally dancing, singing. They're stopping all the cars as they're driving by, and they're shaking people's hands. They're grabbing them and dragging them through the circle. That's what this is picturing, is this joyful shout to the Lord, to to God, to sing his praises because he's worthy of it. This psalm, you know, it rings out, of course. We don't know exactly when it's written. It doesn't tell us that David wrote it. Some people think it was David. Some think it was Hezekiah. But we don't know the timing. We don't know uh, who wrote it. But what we do know is that uh, it's something that it has application through all time. Of course, we know for Israel, as we see, we read a few things about what the Lord did for Israel, you know, turning the sea to dry land, going through the river on foot, rejoicing him. But really, it's the whole earth called to praise the Lord. And this psalm, I believe, is prophetically looking forward to the time at the end of the tribulation when Jesus returns in his second coming and he sets up his millennial kingdom and the Israel is redeemed and is saved, and the Gentile nations that exist are now called to come and to praise and to worship Jesus and and to sing his praises. All the earth crying out in praise to God the creator, and that's what this is picturing. Sing out the honor of his name, make his praise glorious. His name is his character, his nature It it speaks of a weight, that word honor. Um, It it, it speaks of uh, uh, being impressive and awesome. That's God's character, his nature, who he is. 
It is uh, an eternal weight. It, it is uh, someone whose presence is automatically, just because of his character and nature, do praise and glory and honor from us, from us. In fact, we're told Romans 8, uh, 18 uh, through 23, it talks about that all creation groans, right? Waiting for the sons of God to be revealed, but groaning for their creator, groaning for uh, this time of redemption that we're reading about here, this time of the Lord uh, making right all things that are wrong, the Lord uh, coming in, in power and glory and bringing praise to him. We're told here how to praise the Lord. Verse 3, it says, say to God, how awesome are your works. We're told, literally, say it, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. His works are awesome. Has the Lord done awesome works for you? We're told to remember what he's done for us, to not forget. We're, we're called to praise him for his works now. doesn't matter what the circumstances are. We're called to praise him. And in fact, when we forget the works of God in our lives, then we start going down into sin. Right? Israel forgot the works of God in the wilderness. Um, they turned to complaining against him. And we're in danger of judgment. Psalm 106 talks about this, verses 21 through 23. It says of Israel, they forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them. See, they forgot what God had done for them. They, for, they forgot his awesome works. And in forgetting, they were in danger of that ju judgment of God. Now we don't have the same thing. God's not going to just knock us down, strike us down when we forget what, what he's done. That's his grace, his love, his mercy. And yet we, we see in the book of Romans, if you read the first few chapters, it talks about that, how how the, the change of, of man and civilization and culture and this descent from recognizing God as creator to then worshiping uh, the creation rather than the creator, not being thankful of the things that God has done and how that leads down this path of, of more and more sin, of turning against him, is forgetting what he's done. We're to remember the works that he's done if you're here tonight and the Lord saved you, that's the start of what he's done. But he continues to constantly do work for us. And to, to uh, like verse 9 says, keep our soul among the living. Right? Paul, he writes about um, quoting uh, that, that pagan author, but, but using it, speaking of the Lord. In him we live and move and have our being in the Lord. In him, he upholds all things by the word of his power, right? The Lord is the one who gives us the very breath in our lungs, keeps us here, pours the rain down on the just and the unjust. He, he's the same God who died for us while we were still sinners. He's the one who, who knows the hairs on our heads. He knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts. And he, he works on our behalf constantly. And he's worthy of our praise. How awesome are his works. I love that. The, the demonstration of the Lord's power it says, Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. And that word submit literally means to cringe. To cringe or to yield. The enemies of the Lord cringe at him, at his power. And see him. There, there's no standing up against the Lord. How awesome and how great he is. That's another of the reasons why I believe this is pointing to that time frame uh, at the end of the Great Tribulation. We know that uh, the Bible speaks about uh, the day of Jacob's trouble, right? Where, where Israel is being, being judged for rejecting Jesus as the Messiah in, their first, in the first coming. And the earth is being judged having the wrath of God poured out upon it for rejecting him. 
um, and the greatest uh, uh, government and alliance of nations and, and economy that man can come up with stands up against God with the Antichrist at the head, um, claiming to be God, desiring to have worship to himself as God. And all of that raises up, and we see the Battle of Armageddon that takes place and, and just this fighting and warring against God. And when Jesus appears, he just stops it all. He defeats it all. And, and that is the work that the Lord does. Israel at that time will, will look upon him and, and, and recognize him as their savior on Jesus and, and will see him in his defense of them, in his redemption and redeeming of Israel and his people. And it's a display of his awesome, mighty power. It's both past tense, what he has done, and future, what he will do. But it's also present, what he's doing now. All the earth, verse 4, shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. All the earth. How beautiful that is. All the earth. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, uh, verse 43. Moses is prophesying over Israel towards the end of his life before they go into the promised land. And in his prophecy, he speaks of the end times. He says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people, says Deuteronomy 32, 43. All the way back before they had even entered the promised land to conquer it. Moses there prophesying that there would come a day when the Gentiles would rejoice with Israel, God's people, because he was avenging the blood of his servants. Remember in Revelation, we see the martyrs that are under the altar there, crying out, how long, Lord? How long? And Israel being persecuted, this great and heavy persecution, more horrific than the things that are going on right now, will take place against the Jews during the Great Tribulation. And the Lord in his grace and mercy cuts that short at seven years and comes back in defense of his people. And they'll cry out and praise him. And that's what it says. He's come to provide atonement for his land and his people. That began, well, it began before creation. We know he's the lamb slain from before the foundation of the earth. But that that work of salvation we see that that begins for us on the cross with Jesus atoning for our sins and making the way then we see it it continuing to come to fruition and come to fulfillment when he rescues and saves Israel as the scriptures talk about where he saves and redeems them and he works through them and atones for his people and his land it's beautiful the Lord has not uh, left Israel they're, they have a, a blindness in part the scriptures talk about right now because of their rejection of him. And we've seen since Jesus ascended into heaven and the Romans came against Jerusalem and Israel and scattered the people, destroyed the temple, the, the whole episode with the siege of Masada, all of that from then all the way up till now, just like what we're seeing now in the world, there's been persecution of the Jews as God's people has not stopped and it's continued and will continue and get more and more and increase more and more throughout uh, the great seven-year tribulation. But the Lord sees, the Lord knows, and he will come back. And the goal for that judgment, that what's going to take place for Israel and the Jews during that seven-year tribulation is for them to turn their hearts to the Lord, for them to recognize him as their savior. And this will be a song I, I firmly believe that they're going to be singing at that time. Come and see his awesome works. How great are they? Verse 5, come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing toward the sons of men. This is not just Israel. This is not just believers. This is the sons of men, all people. The Lord is awesome in his doing. You know, come and see. Dan talked about it uh, several months ago when we were in John and looking at, at that, uh, where his disciples uh, were saying, come and see, 
Come and see. That's our calling as a Christian, is to go out and say, come and see the works of God. Come see what he's done. That's why it's important as well for us not to forget what he's done, because it's our testimony. It's, our, it's a tool the Lord has given to us to share the gospel with those around us. Come and see what God's done. Look at what he's done. He saved me from my sin. He set me free from bondage to alcohol, drugs, to pornography. He healed my marriage. He, 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 uh, he saved me from a life that was leading down towards death. He, he's he's uh, restored my relationships. He's done these things for me. And it's the power of God in our lives that the Lord uses as a testimony to the people around us. We say, come and see the works of God. Israel itself as a nation is a testimony of God's power and works. Come and see what God's done. All these years where, where the branch that was the natural branch that was cut off, speaking of Israel, because of their unbelief, we see that even though they were cut off because of their unbelief. And even though there's been this demonic push against them, the Lord has had a remnant of his people. And he's preserved them. No other nation. 2,000 years. No, no homeland. No, no, no place that was safe for them to go and stay permanently. None of that. And yet they were brought back to the land. A people with their own religion, their scriptures, their language, all of that brought back. The Lord preserved them for that. They're a testimony of the works of God. And we'll see even more so when we get to see Israel finally saved and redeemed as a nation, as a people, restored. And, and the Jews finally recognizing him as their Messiah. Come and see the works of God. He's awesome and is doing toward the sons of men. We see this hearkening back to Exodus. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river on foot. Remember when they crossed over the Jordan River, what they were supposed to do. The priests would go before them and they had the Ark of the Covenant. As they step in to uh, the Jordan River before they go into the Promised Land, then the rivers, uh, the waters heap up and they cross through on dry land. But before they exit that river, what are they supposed to do? They gather stones. They're supposed to gather stones for the 12 tribes and then go and make an altar there on the side of, uh, of the river on the banks as a testimony of what he's done for them. And, and that's what this is picturing. Uh, it says they went through the river on foot and then it turns around and says, there we will rejoice in him. Again, remembering what God has done. Making, making that altar, that, that site of remembrance, the Lord brought me through across on this, this difficult thing, an impassable uh, uh, obstacle in my life. Uh, some sin, some, some issue, some difficulty in my life, and the Lord brought me through. Have you recognized the work of the Lord in that? Do you go back and think about it and rejoice in him and what he's done for you? It was a, a place for uh, the children to recognize and see it. Hey, mom, dad, what's that pile of stones over there for? And it was for the, the parents to turn to the children and say, this is what the Lord did for us on that day. Do we have that in our lives, in our families, in our homes? Do we have that recognition of what the Lord has done? You know, when he, if you gather as a family, maybe it's just you and your, your spouse or, or siblings or whatever, but you gather together, or maybe it's even just here in the church, and we stop and we say, look at what God, God has done for us. You know, we couldn't pay the bills, and yet he, he, he provided for us. We had food on the table. Uh, I didn't have enough gas to get to work, and yet I, I got there on fumes. Uh, and then he provided the money for me to get gas on my way home. You know, all these things that the Lord has done, and there's even greater things. That's why um, we have such a, an awesome time at our prayer meetings that we do um, on Sunday nights because there are many of those times where we stop at, at the end of our prayers and we just sit and we remember, oh, remember the Lord, we were praying for that and the Lord's answered that prayer. We prayed for that person and the Lord rescued them and saved them and they're, they're walking with him. We, we prayed for that person with that sickness and the Lord healed them. 
you know, we've, we prayed for all these things. And it's a remembrance. That's what we're called to do as believers is to remember him. To rejoice in him. I talked about it last time I was sharing in the Psalms uh, of this idea that, that many times we cry out to the Lord in prayer and we ask for things, but we're not even in that same prayer turning around and saying, thank you, Lord for answering, for doing things. That should be the attitude of our hearts, that the Lord hears and the Lord does. That's what they did. They went through the river on foot, and they say, there we will rejoice in him. We're going to rejoice in the work that he's done. Do you have those things that he's doing for you now? Have you thanked him for what he's done for you? Have you praised him for his power and, and his work in your life? It says, verse 7, he rules by his power forever. We can see things going on. I can't imagine what it's like in Israel right now. I mean, we, we, you can see if you, if you want to look for it, you can see just the horrific videos, the things that have taken place, what they're going through, and I can't imagine that. Um, and it, it would be easy at those times to turn around and say, where's God in all of these things? But it's something that we, again, as believers, we turn when we're in those times of just tragedy, uh, of difficulty, of trial, of hard things, that we turn around and say, God is powerful. He did that for me then. He can work for me now. His power doesn't change. He rules by his power forever. Whatever happens here on this earth, whatever we come against, God still reigns. He's still on the throne. Nothing that we see that we go through now changes that fact. God is unchanging. There's no shadow of turning with him. He, he, he remains the same forever. He rules by his power forever. And it's a matter of faith in us trusting in him and seeing through those trials and those issues and those difficulties, like we'll see later on in the psalm here, that, that we recognize God was powerful and even in those difficulties and trials, he was seeking to do something in our heart and in our lives, seeking to work on our behalf, allowing those things so that we can be purified and drawn near to him. But it says, his eyes observe the nations, the end of verse 7 there, do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. You know, one of the things that's, that's thrown out about a lot right now um, is propaganda with the war going on in Israel. Um, you have people saying, well, you can't believe anything you're hearing. It's tied to, you know, the IDF is tied to the Israeli government that's trying to prop up what they're doing to make sure it looks like a just war for everyone. You have, you know, the Palestinians in their propaganda that they're sending out saying, you know, all these civilians have been killed and all these other things going on. You have it all over the place, and there's just this, this kind of fog of war going on right now. And it's very hard to actually truly get and see everything that's moving, everything that's happening. Uh, in we have this glut of information, and yet it's hard to tell exactly what's happening. But the Lord, that's it, not that way with Him. He sees. His eyes observe the nations. He sees uh, through everything with perfect clarity he knows the intentions of the hearts of every person he knows the thoughts of our uh, of our hearts our, our our minds he he knows how the nations truly are dealing with his people israel is god's nation god's people his people the jews are his chosen people and we see in the scriptures that the nations will be judged individuals will be judged with how they deal with God's chosen people. We see uh, just this massive influx of anti-Semitism right now. Uh, Las Vegas, uh, the Star of David spray-painted on walls, Cornell University death threats against uh, Jewish students, um, and not just die Jews, but talking about gruesome things that should be done to them. Um, horrific things you have it uh throughout uh universities here in america different places throughout the world um the un 
you know, you can look up their resolution about condemning Hamas as a terrorist where they said they're not going to, and they're calling for a ceasefire, and you look at the list of nations as part of the UN, there's maybe six or seven out of all the nations that said, no, Israel should not have a ceasefire right now. No, Hamas is a terrorist group. I mean, that's, that's massive, the nations, the world turning against Israel. And we see it in our own country. Again, I mean, horrific things, things we haven't seen since World War II. In the Third Reich in Germany, uh, of the things going on and, and anti-Semitism against the Jewish people. Hatred towards them. The Lord observes the nations. He sees. And just like this says, do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. Judgment day is coming. Judgment day is coming. And the Lord will not allow it to go on for long. We, we, we see the horrific things that are coming. Again, in the tribulation time. But ultimately, the Lord will come. He will show up and he will judge the nations. He will deal with them. He rules by his power forever. His awesome power. He will rescue them. Look at verse 8. It says, Oh, bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. Uh, turn over uh, to Psalm 55. This is one of my favorite psalms. Psalm 55. Uh, it's a prayer of David crying out for the Lord to hear him. And there's this reminder that David gives himself in verse 22. It says, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. That's a promise that we have. That word moved means shaken. If you look at the footnotes in your Bible, he won't allow us the righteous to be shaken. We cast our cares, our burdens on him. We hear that in the New Testament as well, to cast our burdens on the Lord. Cast our cares upon him. To trust in him. Again, he keeps our soul among the living. Go back to Psalm 66. He keeps our soul among the living. The fact that you're here tonight, that you're breathing, you're able to sit in that chair, drink some coffee, and do Bible study, that's the Lord. He brought you here. He keeps your soul here. It's appointed for a man once to die and then the judgment, right? The Lord has an appointment for us. The fact that we're walking, living, moving, breathing is his very nature and power. Keeps our soul among the living. And he does not allow our feet to be moved. If we're resting in him, if we're trusting in him, he is our firm foundation. He's that anchor for our souls. He is he is uh, a solid rock. He's the fortress, the shelter we can run to. Does not allow our feet to be moved. If we find our feet moving, it's because we're not trusting in him. We're not resting in him. If we're being pushed back, it's because we're not resting in him. The Lord, uh, he, he is a faithful, trustworthy God. You have that promise. He keeps our soul among the living, does not allow our feet to be moved. And then we see that promise is so important for us to have in our heads and our minds, for us to, to, to cling to, to grasp on because of verse 10. For you, O God, have tested us. You've refined us as silver is refined. So the Lord, he doesn't just allow us to just walk through our lives and live it uh, and not deal with things that need to be dealt with. He's constantly seeking to bring us into a, a more purified, sanctified state with him, to conform us into his image. He, he wants us to become more and more like him, and he allows things in our lives to test us in that. That word tested means examining to determine integrity to make sure it is everything that it appears to be through the whole, is that picture. The Lord continually tests our hearts, not waiting until death to judge us, but he tests us now. And in the testing of us, as he sees the impurities and those things that we need to give over to him and to surrender to him, he doesn't leave us there. 
but he provides the opportunity, the means necessary for us to be purified, sanctified, to push forward. Is that testing, that, that, that refining is the next word that it talks about. You've refined us as silver. You guys know that it's, it's that purification process that goes, that precious metals go through, through of um, putting the raw ore into an oven in a pot and heating it up or a furnace and, and allowing it to get to such a high heat that the impurities begin to float to the surface and then burn off or are scraped off and tossed aside. And, and, and that's that refining process. The Lord allows us into that fire. The Lord allows us there so that we can be refined. Not only that, but look at verse 11. It says he brought us into the net. That's being chased like a hunter chases an animal into a net to cause it to stop running away from him. It's the same picture we have there. Sometimes the Lord chases us into a net, hedges us in about to get us to stop running from him finally. To be in that place where now he can grab us and take us with him. And that, that's that picture. You know, if you're, if you're running into these obstacles and you, you've been running from the Lord. And, and you feel like you've hit rock bottom. Maybe the Lord's brought you to that place to get you to stop running from him. To get you to deal with this issue in your heart and your life where you've been rebellious against him. Or you've neglected him. Or you, ha- you haven't surrendered. Or, or, or you're, you're hiding over a secret sin or these things. The Lord wants us to not flee him. But to come to him. If you're fleeing him. Then you're looking at him as the predator. Or the hunter. And you're running from him. That net is there to get us to stop. So that we know that he loves us. And that he cares for us. And he wants us to, to follow him. Instead of running away from him. It says you allayed affliction on our backs. Put a heavy burden. That back area. It's literally speaking of the lower back muscles. I, I don't know how many of you deal with back pain. I don't too much anymore since I haven't had a labor job um, for a little while, but I know my wife deals with back pain all the time. It's often that lower back pain where it's just you feel bent bent over, creased over, and, and, and like you can barely move. And the picture here is having just this heavy burden on our back so that we know that we don't have strength to lift it. Again, the Lord, he does that for us in our life. Sometimes he allows those heavy, difficult things to teach us that it's only in his strength that we have victory. It's only in him that we have that strength to deal with those things, to cause us to cry out to him and allow him to take that burden. Like Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord. It says, verse 12, you've caused men to ride over our heads. Uh, it's difficult to say exactly what this is talking about. There's some commentators say it's it's an idea of a, a a like a horse or a camel that's being ridden on and and driven hard and has the you know the um, harness and, and and all of that that is being steered about. Some say it, it, it's literally you know being run down and mowed over, um, but. Either way, we see that the Lord allows these things to deal with his people. It says, we went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. That's the end goal of the Lord. When he allows us through those things, if you're struggling, if you're dealing with a a difficult time, depression, you're dealing with uh, issues in your life again, you know, I, I don't know what it is. It can be anything that you're dealing with. If you cast your burden on the Lord, you can trust him. And if you trust in him and rely on him and allow him to work on your behalf in those things, then he will bring you through fire, he'll bring you through water, and he'll bring you out to rich fulfillment. That word rich fulfillment means to be completely saturated, completely filled up. It's actually the same word that in Psalm 23 Uh, Verse 5, that talks about my cup overflows. It's that same word, overflowing cup, to be filled with joy. Oftentimes we think of that Lord, you know, crying out to the Holy Spirit and and asking the Lord to come and, and to fall fresh on us and for that overflowing joy that we have. 
But we see here in this psalm that that comes through this affliction, comes through the testing, the refining, the, the hedging about and capturing in the net, the affliction laid on our backs, men riding over our heads, going through fire and through water. And the Lord brings us out then to rich fulfillment as a believer if we trust in him. We need to allow the Lord to do his work in our lives. If you're going through those difficult things, don't turn your back on him. Don't throw your hands up in the air and, and, and complain against the Lord. But cry out to him in prayer. Give him those burdens. Ask him to deal with those things. Trust in him in those things. If he's pricking your conscience about a sin in your heart, if he's revealed something to you that you need to deal with, deal with it. Allow the Lord to bring that to the surface and deal with it. And you'll be brought out to rich fulfillment. That's the end goal. Again, that picture that we see with it's not even a picture, but what the Lord's going to be doing with Israel in the time of tribulation is this very thing. They were, will be tested. They're going to be refined as silver is refined. They're going to be brought into the net. Remember, they're, they're going to flee Jerusalem. Jesus talks about that in Matthew. He says, pray it doesn't come on the Sabbath. It doesn't come while you're pregnant or in the winter time. All these things, but they're going to flee and they're going to go. I believe to Petra, to, to um, uh, Basra, to that area that talks about the Lord coming from. Um, but uh, it's it's a, a canyon in the desert, kind of a hedged-about place where there's nowhere else for them to go. And that's the the, the physical picture of the spiritual reality that the Lord's doing in. in Israel and the Lord does with us, driving us to that point where we recognize He is our only salvation. And He's seeking to bring us out to rich fulfillment. We're told when Israel finally recognizes Jesus as Messiah and Savior, and when they are saved, how great a blessing that's going to be for the entire earth. We're going to be blessed because of what the Lord's done with Israel. Rich fulfillment. So we have this first half of the psalm here first part of it is all about the lord's works and what he's done in the earth and with sons of men and with israel the past things that he's done the bringing them through trials and then it focuses in on the personal on the individual here we see the response verse 13 i will go into your house with burnt offerings i will pay you my vows which my lips have uttered you know many times in those difficult things you know it's we hear it and we do it as Lord. If you just get me through this, I'm gonna do this for you. I'm gonna I'm gonna spend more time in prayer. I'm gonna be in your Word more. I'm gonna I'm gonna do all of these other things. Uh, Jesus talks about us not making vows to Him, but if we make vows to the Lord, we should pay up, right? But this this is not necessarily speaking of that, but it's just this recognition of what God has done it's it's a recognition they're offering sacrifices to the lord in praise it's not just the joyful shout that just takes the air in our lungs in a joyful attitude it, it's not it's not just that that calling people to see the works of god or to blessing him making uh, our voices of praise heard it's not any of it's not just those things that really honestly don't cost much. But it's the costly praise that the Lord desires from us as well. That recognition, that sacrifice. And that's what the psalmist is saying. I'll go into your house with burnt offerings. You've done all of this for me. And I have to give you all that I have. To do all of this for you. I've had this relationship with you that has been broken by sin or by separation, all of these things, and I'm going to now go and, and make that relationship right by paying you my vows, by doing this sacrifice. That that uh, paying vows, it, it, it speaks of, um, it's, uh, I had it written down. I lost my place in the notes here, but, Oh, there it is. It's, it's to complete an agreement so that you're in a state of peace between the two different parties. That's what paying a vow is. So you've made an agreement. Now you're going to complete your, your end of the deal, basically. 
and you're going to go in and, and, and you're going to do that so that there's this peace. Now, we're, we see throughout the scriptures, it's the Lord that paid the price for us while we're still sinners, made the covenant with Israel, with Abraham, right, when Abraham was asleep, said, I'm going to do this for you. The Lord has established all of these promises and all these things that, that truly ultimately rely on him, right? Verse 9, he keeps our soul among the living. He's the one who does it, yet he still wants us to go. They give him those sacrifices and those praises. Have you done that? As you look back at all the wonderful things that the Lord's done, are you giving your time to him? Are you giving your money to him? Are you giving your belongings to him? Are you, are you, are you paying those sacrifices, those burnt offerings? Is your, your worship and following the Lord costly to you? Because it should be. Our following the Lord should cost us. That's what we see throughout scriptures. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, right? We're called to, to, uh, to um, count the cost, right? And daily take up our cross, right? We're, we're, we're called to, to uh, have this costly following him, to not just do what's easy for us in following him and giving him thanks, Remember David, uh, when he went to build, uh, to buy the, the land to build the temple before um, he died, and it was that threshing floor, remember? And they offered it to him for free, and he said, no, I'm not going to give to the Lord what didn't cost me anything. So he says, I'm going to pay. And that's, that's that same attitude for us that we're to have. It's a costly thing. Says, I will pay you my vows, verse 14, which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. He says, I will offer you burnt sacrifices of fat animals with the sweet aroma of rams. It's that grilling meat, that, that uh, beautiful smell of barbecue and things on the grill, all of that. The burnt sacrifices of fat animals. Sweet aroma of rams. These weren't cheap, right? The, I mean, the, the fat animals, t- it takes time for an animal to grow and to grow fat. Uh, the rams and bulls and goats, they're, they're costly things, right? It was the wealth of a, a nation that was built upon herding and, and, and agriculture and farming and all those things. These weren't cheap things. And yet he says, I'm going to go to you and I'll offer you these sacrifices. I'm going to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fulfill my vows to you. I've called you my God, my Savior. I've, I've promised that I will follow you and I will make these sacrifices. You know, the Lord loves us. We love him because he first loved us. It's his work that he's done in our lives and called us. But it doesn't just stop with this salvation, right? It doesn't just stop with us, you know, placing our faith in him, being set free from sin, and then that's it. It's obedience after that, right? The Lord desires obedience rather than sacrifice for us to follow him. He wants us to, to, to count the cost and to follow him. Verse 16, it says, Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. That, again, is our call. Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. So the psalmist, after remembering all of these things, his glorious power in the earth, his redemption of Israel as a nation and rescuing them, his judgment on the nations, his keeping their souls among the living, not allowing their feet to be moved, his his trying and testing of the people, his bringing them out to rich fulfillment, all of those things, he says, verse 16, come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare, Declare what he has done for my soul. That's what the Lord cares about is our soul. What he's done for us. The work that he does is for our souls. That we're brought into a place where we're that, that unblemished, beautiful, purified bride before him. The work that he's done, his poema, his beautiful masterpiece that he's worked. And we can stand and say, I will declare what he's done for my soul. He saved me. He rescued me. He gave me blessings that I do not deserve. He, he, he's brought me out of a life in bondage to sin to walk in freedom now. All the things that the Lord does for us. I love verse 17. It says, 
uh, I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. It's almost this, I'm crying out, and all of a sudden it's turned to praise. Uh, F.B. Meyer, uh, he writes, Scarcely had I cried, than I had reason to praise. It's a vocal expression of prayer, and yet it, it turns into praise. We have the answer even before we cry out for it. If we only trust him for it, if we, if we believe him, doesn't mean we see it here and now, but we can trust him. We, we can rely on him. We can, we can trust that even if we don't see it now and the answer, the fulfillment of our needs here and now, that we can trust him for the answer in the future and that he knows what he's doing. He's sovereign. He's ruling with power. Crying out to him. But we, we have this beautiful, remarkable then statement here on prayer, this spiritual truth that we truly need to, to grip and to hold on to in verse 18. It says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. There, there are those who take this and some other verses out of context and say, and in, in fact it's a lot in the Calvinist type of camp and theology, um, where they say that man cannot come to God because man is a sinner and it's only what God does with no real response from us um, to bring us to salvation because God can't hear our prayers if we're sinners. That flies in the face of what the scriptures say, though, right? We see that throughout the scriptures. That's not what this verse is talking about. Uh, regarding iniquity in my heart means to hold something precious, to cling to it, to say, no, this is mine. I'm going to hang on to it. I'm going to keep keep doing this. Uh, I'm enjoying this, or, or I can't give this up. I don't want to give this up. All those things. That's the picture. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. James talks about it. You know, we ask and don't receive because we ask amiss, right? Uh, if, if we're holding precious to things that, or we're holding things that are against the Lord as precious in our hearts, regarding that iniquity in our hearts, the Lord doesn't hear. The Lord knows, protects, cries out for us. He, he, he intercedes on our behalf. But if we're rebellious against him and, and, and we're, we have that heart of turning away from him, our prayers are hindered. It's an easy answer to get out of that state, though. It's confess your sins. Repent from your sins. Confess. Agree with the Lord that it's sin, that it's iniquity, that it's wickedness, that I've been holding this thing precious in my heart. And giving it up to him. And the Lord's there. He's not far off. The Lord's near. The Lord hears us. He's not too far. Isaiah 59 verse 1. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. It's, it's not the Lord. It says, But your iniquities have separated you from God. And your sins have hidden his face from you. So that he will not hear. As soon as we confess, as soon as we repent, he hears, he forgives us, he sets us free. It's only when there's rebellion, hardness of heart, and unrepentance that our prayers are hindered. And that's also why this section here in Psalms and, and the spiritual truth that we see is that it comes after this whole refining process. The Lord deals with us in those things. Sometimes even before we recognize that we have that thing we've held precious in our hearts, where the Lord tests us, refines us, again, puts us into the net, lays affliction on our backs to bring us to that point where we recognize, I've had this thing that I've held dear in my heart that's sin against the Lord, and I need to deal with it here and now. If that's you here tonight, deal with it. Don't go from here with a sin that you've kept secret in your heart. Doesn't mean you have to stand up and shout out and say, I've done this thing, right, in front of everybody. But right now, here and now, you can confess in your heart to the Lord your sin and know that he's forgiven you. And know that if, if you're trusting in him, that he's removed your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. That he can make your, your, you, your heart as white as snow. 
Isaiah talks about. That's what the Lord's heart is. And that's what the psalmist says. But certainly, verse 19, God has heard me. He's attended to the voice of my prayer. He says, the Lord's heard me. The Lord knows. He's attended to the voice of my prayer. He's heard. And then he gives him praise. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. It's beautiful. Has the Lord heard your prayers? The answer is yes. The Lord's heard your prayers, unless you're in rebellion. If you're in rebellion, then your prayers are hindered and you need to repent. But if you're not in rebellion, then you can trust and know and have joy and, and faith in that calm, unmoving peace in him, knowing that he hears your prayers. He knows what you're going through. He knows your needs. He's providing for you. He's not left you alone. If there's difficult things, he's refining you. He's testing you. He's purifying you. He's going to bring you out into rich fulfillment. You just trust in him. Don't let go. Don't give up. Don't turn your back on him, but just trust and cling to him. It's beautiful. We can have assurance that the Lord hears our prayers because of his character and his nature. It's him. It's not us. It's him. It's who he is. That's what this psalm is all about. Just the beautiful, awesome power of the Lord. We see it in creation. We see it in his dealing with nations, with Israel, with groups of people, and with us individually. His power. How awesome and how mighty it is. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. His mercy. His mercy. Not dealing with us when we have, you know, not striking us dead. Right? Showing mercy to us. That beautiful, beautiful mercy. Uh, the past experiences, the highs and lows, the blessings and trials inform us here and now for us to be able to say, blessed be God. He doesn't only hear our prayer, but he gives us individually mercy. All of these things that we go through is for us to recognize and to say, God be praised. Praise the Lord for what he's done. Uh, one of my favorite hymns, it's a very difficult hymn to sing. The melody's kind of weird, but I just wanted to read it. It's Praise to the Lord the Almighty um, by a, a German uh, minister um, back in the, I think, the 1400s. Uh, Joachim Neander was his name, but he says, Praise to the Lord the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise him, for he is your health and salvation. Come, all who hear, now to his temple draw near. Join me in glad adoration. Praise to the Lord above all things so wondrously reigning, sheltering you under his wings and so gently sustaining. Have you not seen all that is needful has been sent by his gracious ordaining? Praise to the Lord who will prosper your work and defend you. Surely his goodness and mercy shall daily attend you. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do, if with his love he befriends you. Praise to the Lord who when tempests their warfare are waging, who when the elements madly around you are raging, bids them to cease, turning their fury to peace, whirlwinds and waters assuaging. Praise to the Lord who when darkness of sin is abounding, who when the godless do triumph, all virtue confounding, shedding his light, chasing the horrors of night, saints with his mercy surrounding. Praise to the Lord, O oh, let all that is in me adore him. All that has life and breath come now with praises before him. Let the amen sound from his people again. Gladly forever adore him beautiful that's our praise what the lord's done for us the lord works on our behalf jesus loves us he died for our sins he paid the penalty for all these uh wicked thoughts and the things that we've done in our lives that are against him and he knows us he cares for us and he loves us and our hearts and our lives should be that of praise of joyful praise and worship and glorying in him. And when we have that heart of worship to him, then it's that crying of faith. It's that foundation we have that brings us through because of his character and nature, the difficult things in life. It's him. It's beautiful. His power.
Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us. Lord, I thank you for paying the price for my sins. I thank you that while I was still a sinner, you died for me. Lord, I thank you that you've known my shortcomings, you know my failings. Lord, you know uh, my heart, you know those thoughts that I have that are against you. Lord, you know me, you know us individually. And yet you've dealt with us with such beautiful, wonderful mercy and grace, Lord. We thank you for that. Lord, we thank you that you are not a weak God who is impotent, but you are powerful. Lord, we thank you for the promises you have of judgment on sin, Lord, uh, of righteously ruling on the earth, of finally dealing with the wickedness that we see around us, Lord. We thank you that you are a just and righteous God, Lord. We thank you that you are uh, our provider, Lord that you know our needs before we even ask for them, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you and praise you. I pray that you would bless the people tonight, Lord. I pray that you would remind us all of those things that you've done for us, that we would not go from here being downcast, depressed, uh, but that we would leave here encouraged because of your love for us, that we don't deserve, and yet you love us, Lord. I ask this in your name. Amen.